Hello, and welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I get a friend to nominate a Doctor Who story for me to watch. They have secretly chosen their favourite things about it, and I have to guess what they are. So let's travel towards Sylvester McCoysville for this one, and to find out what it is about this story that makes us go boo. You're listening to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who commentary podcast with me, Toby Haydoke. So, in case you haven't yet guessed what our story is, although to do that means you won't have read the show listings or any of the material that's actually got you listening to this, but come on, let's continue with the facade. Here's my special guest, who's going to tell you a little bit about himself and the reasons why he's chosen this story. Hello, Toby. Hello, everyone. I'm John Turner, or John Nathan Turner, if you prefer, but not that one, despite the massage. And I am an artist and illustrator based in Manchester. Uh, My last official Doctor Who illustration project was for... Last year's Chinese re-release of 12 Doctors, 12 Stories. So I'll let you off if you missed that one. Although, call yourself a fan. Anyway, Toby, the story that I've chosen for you this week is one that's very dear to my heart. It is Battlefield. Now, Battlefield has the honour of forming not just my first Doctor Who memory but my first TV memory of any kind. So I would have been three years old on the original broadcast, although the third episode fell on my fourth birthday. And the scene where the Doctor goes down into a dark tunnel, that is my earliest television memory of any sort, which I'm sure is something a psychoanalyst could have a lot of fun with. Anyway, uh, Battlefield was rebroadcast in 1993, by which point I was a very Doctor Who-obsessed seven-year-old, and as I'm sure many fans of a certain age can relate, at that point you had to grasp whatever Doctor Who you could get and treasure it. And my parents had bought their first VCR that year, so... I watched Battlefield and the other stories that were broadcast in 1993 many, many, many times. Although I've never quite forgiven my dad for forgetting to record episode three of Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, Battlefield also, and Toby can correct me if I'm wrong here, has the dubious honour of having the lowest audience figures of any original broadcast Doctor Who story. So I think it is ripe for a re-evaluation. So that's your job, Toby. Uh, I'm going to enjoy this £5 lemonade. You enjoy Battlefield, and I will be back later to tell you five of my favourite things. Wicked. Hello, Uh, my name is Toby, it's nice 
to see you or imagine you are there. Today, we are going to watch episode one of Battlefield. So uh, if you're watching along, I hope you're ready to press play or enter now. I've got it on glorious Blu-ray. Yes. Okay, it's the beginning. Gosh, the the final season of Doctor Who. And as John said, John Turner, lovely John Turner, who is a friend and colleague of mine. And I'm not quite sure how I've got a friend and colleague who was three when this was on because I was 15. What am I doing hanging around with a three-year-old? God, that ages me. It's funny as you get older, isn't it, that your adult friends you can't imagine a people that you you would have nothing in common with when you were a, a teenager or whatever. Uh, the ages get closer together. Um, so we're doing a McCoy. Not the first McCoy I've done on this. Already done Delta and the Bannermen, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, recap, 1989, I was a furious Doctor Who fan. Old Doctor Who was good. New Doctor Who was bad. I was terrified that anything that Doctor Who did wrong, even a bad tree actually actually this is the first time i've watched this since i got into gardening i've i watch things now and get house envy i'm now getting pot plant envy i like a garden center what have i become but but yeah when um when i was this age i, I was furious with doc two and, and worried that any mistake it made would would one go, oh, mention of Sergeant Benton, 10 points. That's what it was like in those days. But anything any anything that might jeopardise the future of Doctor Who would make, or mean my friends at school the next day would mock me, would, uh, would be bad news. Although a lot of my friends sadly didn't watch Doctor Who. Uh, but I was always on the lookout. So I was a, so, well, I wasn't, I think. I was quite creative, wasn't I? But I was, but when, as far as Doctor Who concerned, I was very defensive and very cross. I mean, I see it now on Twitter, so I understand it. It's partially what this is about. Um, it's, it, I love that shot. That's a great shot. And I, I, and you, it looked like, because there was a trailer for this where Sergeant Zabigniew featured quite heavily in, and he hadn't been mentioned in any of the pre publicity. And there's something about sort of this season with a Polish. Sergeant and uh, it's a very a unit are very international in this, uh, which seemed so sort of fresh and interesting. And then you've got the Russians in a couple of stories time. And suddenly those sorts of voices that you didn't really hear, they weren't your go to foreigners in sort of earlier iterations of Doctor Who or, in, or, or television that I watched. I think they might have been in, in some more sort of adulty programs. But um, so it's, it, having Eastern European um voices and and and, and uh, it, it just seemed slightly fresh and slightly new and and it made it seem sort of slightly more grown up slightly less cliched i don't yeah than, than if he'd been i don't know you know french or german or whatever love the dark tardis too i've got to remember to i'm eating i'm only supposed to be eating until eight o'clock i'm 15 stone it's interesting you tell what 15 stone you you can't even be a character actor these days and not not be chiseled worse for women but i don't care i'm watching doctor at midnight 
It's battlefield. And I'm having a naked bath. Um, I really like the Dark Tardis. I wish they'd done it. And it's because they didn't have many Tardis scenes under Andrew Cartmel, did they? I think that was a, a policy. He was a script editor who found the Tardis scenes sort of wasteful scene setting. Uh, and, and, and I think that's a, a good decision. Although it makes this fun to see the TARDIS again. And, and, it's, uh, and it's atmospheric because of the, the darkness. And that, that whispering voice is good. So that's all good. I, I, but as I said, I didn't like the story at the time. Um, and it's, it's, it's certainly nobody's favourite story. Yes, somebody will now tweet me and go, I think I'll find it's my favourite story. But it's not, it's not generally a, a well-loved story. But I, re I remember, it's weird because I remember quite enjoying watching it and being cross with it at the same time. How can you love something and yet be cross? But we're like, I'm finding that in lockdown. We're like that in lockdown, aren't we? We, we get crossest with the things that we, we love, don't we? Because instead of, instead of enjoying the, th you know, we take the things we love about them for granted and then, then focus on their, but that's what this podcast is about. Jimmy Ellis, I worked with him not long after this. My first ever professional job. Uh, Merchant of Venice, he played Shylock. And I played Man from Antonio and Leonardo. They have three lines between them. I say it was a professional job. I was a local schoolboy at the Ludlow Festival and applied to be a spear carrier and they needed somebody to do three lines and I did them. But, I, you know, yeah, it was a professional, professional theatre job. Um... It took me ages to realise that they were they were actually knights flying down. Um, nice to see Jimmy and Doctor. He was a very very nice man, uh, and his son Hugo was in the Merchant of Venice. Uh, and I did, only discovered relatively recently. Jim, Jimmy had a sad story because I love the light rising from the from the earth. That's lovely. That's Anselin, isn't it? I I I, I like that. Uh, and that and that music is good as well. Kev McCulloch gets some stick. I, I, he sort of made the stories race along, I think. And I I was of an age where I didn't listen to pop music particularly, but I did have Doctor Incidental music on tape. So the Kev McCulloch music, I'm I'm rather fond of. And people say it's it, it's a bit full on, but I no, I like it. It's I, I, it, it, it to me it helps it helps with the pace. Uh, and these stories need to crack along, I think. Um, and I loved Doctor Who's sort of anti-nuclear thing because I was young and, and, you know, nuclear was bad. It's interesting now that we think of nuclear power as, 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 as potentially better than stuff that drains fossil fuels, etc., etc. But, you know, we were, we were very, and the, I mean, the Labour Party at, at, at around this time, you know, you, you, your, your choices were the Tories and, uh, who who were pro nuclear and Labour Party? I mean, for some of the eighties, were um, you know nuclear disarmament, and and that was a reason for uh, well-meaning liberals like me to go. Oh yeah, that would that would be a marvelous thing. Uh, and a nuclear is is weird because he comes up and salutes, but he was coming up and saluting a lot earlier then. So that's the longest salute. It's just a slight tweak in the edit it's just a slight yeah too long in the edit um and also he doesn't get i don't know who that soldier is he's got a line but he doesn't get a credit um 
which I always feel, it's an, it's an injustice I always feel for the uncredited speaking actor. Um, but, but yeah, it's interesting how hot the nuclear, <laughs> the nuclear issue was. And I was delighted that Doctor was taking it on. That, that's quite right, you know. Um, I was a very idealistic young man. We were very idealistic, sort of liberal family. Uh, CND badges, all that. And, I mean, the BBC did a nuclear season. I didn't sleep. They showed a thing called The War Game, which had been banned. So I wanted to watch it because it had been banned. Not because I was drawn to the sexiness of something that had been banned, but because it was like an archive gem. Um, oh, I watched it, and it was terrifying. And I had, to, and I slept. In my, I went to my sister's bedroom and said, "I want to, I want to sleep in here tonight." And I said, "Please tell me that's not going to happen." And she said, "It probably will, but not for a few years." That was just. That was as reassuring as she got. And I remember thinking, so I think this was mid-80s, so I'd have been 10 or 11. And I remember thinking, oh, well, if I make it to 21. <laughs> so the nuclear stuff. Yeah. And, I, I, and this was, some of this was in the trailer. And, uh, yeah, when the, whenever the doctor turns up, all hell breaks loose. I'm ashamed, it's sad we don't see any more of Zbigniew, Robert Jezek, who is, of course, Frobisher in the Big Finish uh, CDs. He's a good, he's a good voice man. He's Canadian, um, but of Polish stock. I had a chat with him once about his Polish heritage. He's got some really interesting things to say. Everybody's got an interesting story, but yeah, I like the the blue caps. They sit. They seem to me like a a sort of convincing international sort of peacekeeping kind of force. It's a slightly more grown up way of doing unit than than in the past, which I rather like. Oh, two! I was just going to say the brigadier is one wearing one of Doctor Who's rare cardigans. She's got. They've both got cardigans on. I've never noticed that before. I quite like a cardigan. And I wouldn't have said that ten years ago. Oh, we changed, don't we? Double cardigan, goodness! He's got a nice house again. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have cared ten years ago. I, this is property porn now. Oh, what, what can I do with that sort of? That's a hell of a garden, though. They must have people. Oh yeah, this was in the trailer too. This was the start of the trailer, I think. I used to take the trailers and watch them over and over again. Uh, and a cravat too. I'm. I'm rocking the Brigadier's look. That's who I would cosplay as. I'd cosplay as the Brigadier doing his garden. It's essentially how I dress now. I know I'm, I'm being very casual, but there's a plague on with... <laughs> nobody's doing it. I've done anything for six months. <laughs> Even the re relaxing cardigan seems a bit too formal for the plague time. And again, this is, you know... Do, this is the equivalent of the t at the time, in the late 80s, having a black female brigadier. God, Twitter would explode if the equivalent was a, of being as woke as anything. Of course, it, it, it doesn't seem unusual now. I think it was unusual then and laudable, uh, so to do. I, I really like Angela Bruce. I, I, the shame thing, I've since read that's because she supposed they imagined her, or it was written that she would be speaking in... Um, 
with a with a West Jamaican accent, West Indian accent, and and shame sounds, you know, that that is something that would would work um, if delivered in that way. Now it just sounds like they they were gonna have her swear and then they d don't have her swear, and it's it's a shame. It doesn't quite work. Shame, shame, <laughs> or shit. <laughs> uh, it was really nice to see Noel Collins because he was one of the desk sergeants in Juliet Bravo, which was a great series and a better series than I gave it. You know, when I was younger, it was just, you know, Saturday evening entertainment. I've got them on DVD now. It's a cracking show. And uh, so it's nice to see Noel Collins, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, he had lung cancer. I think he took... He took a cigarette company to court. He was part of a conglomerate, I think, of people that... I think he was quite a heavy smoker. Um, uh, of, of, of people who tried to take a, a, a cigarette company to court as a result of lung cancer. Oh, I like John's joke at the beginning about his, uh, his £5 lemonade. Uh, £5 for a glass of lemonade. I don't know. No, glass lemonade still not five pounds, is it? Um, I remember, yeah. I remember finding the sparks a bit, the sparks from the gun a bit, too. Strobes. I like the sort of sparks you see on top of the pops, rather than the sort of sparks you see emit from an alien energy weapon. Let's see how they've aged. This is certainly rattling along. Um, and I remember loving all of this stuff. You know, the... Yeah, I don't like those sparks, but that's okay. Um, this is great stuff. This is great stuff. Look at this. Medieval knights on 20th century Earth. This is terrific. That's a, I like the sword fight. I like a sword fight, um, and I like the hair coming out of the, 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 the back of the helmet. Uh, yeah, the sparks and the guns aren't great, which is a shame. Um, that's Christopher Bowen, isn't it? He was rather big news. So I think his bottom had become quite famous in a drama um, that I forget the name of now, and it wasn't a drama. I think I seem to recall it being sweaty and set in Singapore or something, um, and everybody watched it, um, but I didn't. But his, his picture is everywhere, so I was very excited when somebody from a programme that I didn't watch but that everybody talked about um, was cast in Doctor Yeah, uh, but isn't it interesting how how fame works? Because I suspect... I mean, I've seen him pop up in a few bits of bobs. He was in a thing called Castles that Sarah Griffiths was in about five years after this. So he had quite a purple patch of doing a lot of work, and he's in the... Richard the Third. He's only at the very beginning, but it's a movie, um, so it's a good credit of um, Ian McKellen, uh, and he's got a good sort of leading man, handsome ex-public school leading man kind of face. He's not. He looks not unlike Matthew McFadden, that terrific actor who's not been in Doctor Who, which I think is a shame. His wife Keely Hawes was in Time Heist, but Matthew McFadden uh, has not been in. Uh, Doctor Who, I'd quite like to see. I think he'd have been quite an interesting, enigmatic Doctor Who. Um, this is June Bland, who was Berger in Earthshock, who was married to Bill Sellers, who directed The Celestial Toymaker. 
Um, I like she. I like the fact her character is is blind. Um, my other half might get quite cross because my other half is a disabled actress, actor. I think she says actor. No, does she say actor? Actually, I know some people get cross about one and some people get cross about the other, and I don't care either way. Um, so just imagine she says the one you like. Um, and my partner would say, you know, and campaigns to get better disabled representation on the telly. Um, and I remember we watched, what's the one with uh, the superhero who's, who's blind? That one. And I remember we... Um, we watched the first episode of that and I said, you'll like this, it's a blind superhero. And she said, is the actor blind? And then there was this one-take fight scene. <laughs> and I went, I don't think so, no. <laughs> um, so nice to see. Of course, the, this was scary because the Brigadier was back and the whole, it was Storm Over a Valley and it was going to be called. Uh and, and, but it was it was exciting because it was uh, touching the past because Jean Marsh is there and she'd been in Doctor Who. Regular. Of course, she'd been in the Dalek Master Plan with Nicholas Courtney. It's a Dalek Master Plan reunion. Oh, poor tree. Um, and um, but of course, the 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 way it was sold was that is the Brigadier going to die? Uh And, um, you know, we, so we spent the whole thing on the edge of our seats. Well, knowing that if he was going to die, it wouldn't happen until episode four, but with a real possibility that they were going to kill off the Brigadier. I'm glad they didn't, because uh, he got to be in the Sarah Jane Adventures and... Um, Jimmy didn't really know how to use that phone, did he? Um... He was a very nice man, James Ellis. He was he was a good actor. Um, he was he was yeah he was Shylock in this Merchant of Venice, um, and he was he had a real twinkle. And it, yes, in the but he yeah he had a sad story. His one of his sons was murdered um, in London stupidly, um, and he just had. I love that bit. Waiting for me. That's great. And he went when I worked with Jimmy. He had a young son called Toto who had just been born. So yeah, he was a he was a twinkler with Jimmy. Because uh, he was quite old then. Um, uh, and it was really weird because I, I put something nice on Facebook or Twitter when Jimmy died, and 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 a, and a comedian colleague of mine, well, ex comedian really, and so he, you know, he he, he he one of his workmates. Uh, he showed one of his workmates my Facebook uh, post, and it was Jimmy's son Toto, who was no longer two, is now a you know grown man with a profession. Um, but but that much to Venice we did. I worked with uh, another of Jimmy's sons, Hugo, um, and I only recently discovered that Hugo. Um, uh, uh, um, took his own life and, and predeceased Jimmy so Jimmy lost two of his kids which I just think for anybody who with kids you know that's the one thing you mustn't do is predecease your children I think that's so tragic um, now this is quite yes I remember being furious with this it, how do we like this everybody do we like the boom scene um, 
I don't even know if I've been seen on camera. <laughs> Used to be this camera. Um, I mean, it's... Don't do alliteration if it's if it's if it's not. Yeah, I, I'm. I know I have to accentuate the positive. So I like the hand grenade. I I didn't quite understand what was going on here. Uh, I, yeah, I, it's a sign of the budget, really. I, they have a good stab, um, but that that whole sequence d doesn't really work. I like Xiao Young's red stockings. I'm, I'm trying to accentuate the positive. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Um, okay, oh, look. That will be great. But I'm enjoying this much more than I did at the time. But, of course, at the time, I was furious young man. Uh, got nothing to lose now. And John is right. This was this is the lowest rated, which is a good sign that the that the series went up in the ratings. That's a great shot with the with the, the shadows and the, the, uh, the, the shadow of the... Um, otherwise unforgivable <laughs> umbrella uh, and I like the way that they go who's that together um, and this is an underrated performance I think Marcus Gilbert is great he, he's got and he was he became quite big news it's the thing about Christopher Bowen as well I, was, I sort of interrupted myself which happens a lot um, is that you know you can be big news as an actor for a while and then and then not be uh and and that's been a that's been a real lesson when following the fortunes of uh of of doctor who actors how sort of fleeting and meaningless uh, a lot of it is which makes steady underachievement for most of one's professional life not seem so bad <laughs> and angela douglas now she was the sort of person my mum uh sort of knew more than I it was it was good I sometimes think John Nathan Turner spent extra money on 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 people who brought no value because nobody knew who they were except him um but but actually I like I, his casting policy was often quite interesting and I actually think one of the joys of watching Doctor is sometimes watching somebody you would go oh that's a bit of miscasting or that's slightly left field and and it works and some of the some of the best performances in Doctor you know, casting William Gaunt in, in, in that part in um, Revelation of the Daleks is a masterstroke. He was known as a sitcom guy. So I, I, don't, I don't mind bold casting in Doctor Who because it's a bold show. I don't mind casting that seems like, oh, what, hang on, that's that's come out of nowhere. That That's a bit... and Some that I would object to at the time and maybe they did send out the wrong message at the time because Doctor Who didn't have the best reputation. He's... It, but, no, Marcus Gilbert's very good. Uh... He, he, you know, he gives very convincing night. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, this is... I, I, I seem to recall one of the newspapers being cross that um, that the episode ending was... Oh, no, believe it. Is the, the episode ends with saying, kill them, kill them now. Um, now, I, I have got to think and not just keep because well, I have to talk and think at the same time doing this but I think I've really let myself down on some of the choices because uh, I've overlooked something that I really liked and in desperation picked something fleeting and trivial um, what what is my favourite thing about episode 
one. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this, by the way. Welcome to my house. Matthew Purvis, assistant floor manager, is the son of Peter Purvis. Um, oh, Ian Dow, the uh, OB lighting guy. He, he, he loved working with Sylvester and Sophie. Um, they're very well-liked people, Sylvester and Sophie. And Scott Talbot, who's a studio said, if you ever see him on the uh, on any of the documentaries, he looks about... He's never aged. Um, so, uh, right, well, okay, we'll get to the end of the episode, and I will... I will... Um, do I pause? Yes, because Mike... Oh, my, I need to talk about Michael Kerrigan, the director. Well, look, um, uh, that means my tea's probably gone cold. Um, oh, I hope my tea goes cold when I do the rescue, because uh, that's on the planet Dido. Save that joke for the appropriate story, Toby. Okay. That sort of gold might never occur to me again. Um, I've half an idea that this camera hasn't <laughs> picked me up at all. Right, so. My favourite thing, I've lined up John's favourite thing. My favourite thing about episode one is, uh, well, I like, well, I think I like the concept of knights in armour um, juxtaposed with current military hardware it's very you know that idea the whole because it's it's not just a clash of that wonderful doctor who thing of uh, the ancient and the modern but it's also it's about modern weaponry and nuclear weapons and and you know knights are associated with chivalry and honor and all that sort of thing and the way that we sometimes dress up war which is actually generally killing people um so it's, it's a lot more than just a surface thing so the, yeah hoiking some ancient knights uh, and juxtaposing them with the current military and a nuclear missile on a lake, um, and the idea of knights with laser guns—I do, th I, I, although I don't like the sparks—is—is—is um, is, is neat because that means all of that the swords of the of their sorcery, the, the swords of their uh, are sort of ceremonial, um, uh, and you know all the sword fighting is is. You, you know, is to do with the, the proper way of doing things, which I, which I think is, you know, it, it, it's it makes for good, exciting sword fights, but it's also it's also again a sort of comment on yes, we do things a certain way, although what we're doing is butchering. So knights in the twentieth century is my favourite thing about episode, and I like the screaming music that goes with them as well when they and when they rise up out when he rises up out of the hill and it's got that screaming music theme, yeah. So that was a lot of things, wasn't it? <laughs> Don't care. Right, what did John say? Hi again, everyone. Hi, John. Hello, Toby. Uh, so I've decamped to the beer garden of the Gorko Hotel to tell you <laughs> five of my favourite things about Battlefield. Um, and it's been hard because I have a lot of favourite things about Battlefield. Um, but the first choice is one that I think is deeply uncontroversial, and that is the return of Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier. Um, obviously this is his last on-screen story, certainly in the main show. Um, I choose to ignore that Cyberman thing that happened. Uh, but I, I think he's wonderful here. Um, I think he's given lots to do in the story, which is great. Um, and I really like how his dry, sort of understated acting style contrasts with 
some of the, shall we say, larger than life acting uh, going on from uh, other cast members. Um, I love his interplay with Doris and with Lavelle. They make a, a nice uh, short-lived double act. Um, I also think he, he gets all the best lines in this script. Um, I think my favourite is uh, just between you and me, Mordred, I'm getting a little tired of hearing about your mother. And of course, uh, get off my world, which I think sums up the Brigadier's attitude to most alien life pretty well. Um, yeah, I I think this is a fitting final story for the Brigadier. Um, I think it's lovely. Yeah, good choice, John. Uh, and of course, a canny choice, because I'm bound to have chosen the Brigadier at some point uh but now i can't because he's chosen him for episode one so that's quite good because it forces my hand because stops me being unimaginative um and also i uh, for those that maybe not seen all this i'm going to try and resist going that bit that actor does or or something that's tight because i think that's quite boring of me because that's i talk about actors and bits that actors do or the fact i know a fact about an actor all the time so i'm just trying to be more interesting i'm trying to be interesting um, and if I'm failing, I'm sorry. But if you're still watching, it's your fault. Um, I've still got tea on my knee. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, rattling. That rattled through. That's what I really like about that. Um, we think sometimes of sort of old telly, and that is now 31 years old. That's terrifying, of being a bit pedestrian. There's a real rattly pace to that, and the much maligned Kef McCulloch is responsible for a lot of that, I have to say. Um, and yeah, there are bits that didn't work, but we're not here to talk about those. Um, um, so I'm not even going to do that, because you can go anywhere on the internet to find people banging on about the bits that didn't work. Um, so, I, so, you know, let's let's put a bomb under those. Let's Let's make them go boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm i'm gonna watch episode two right now um you will have to come back for the next edition of this uh, video cast slash podcast however you are digesting this um so um i'll see you next time Thank you for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock. My special guest was John Turner. The music for this podcast has been specially composed by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. like to extend sincere thanks to my patrons John Deere, Ian Key, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Peter Adamson, Richard Byatt, Paul Carrington, James Gould, Joe Llewellyn, Nathan Moore, 
Nick Temple, Apollo C. Vermouth, James Blackett, Hugh Buchtman, Peter Crocker, Michael Dennis, Tim Dickinson, Pete Dylan Trenchard, Simon Guerrier, Christopher Judge, Andy Kitching, Pip Maidley, Russell Parker, Monsieur Poirot, Paul Shields, David Spencer, Sidney Troet, Alistair Wallace, John Williams, and Pascal Zierka. Please rate and review these podcasts wherever you can, positively, of course. And don't forget to join my mailing list, which you can find at www.tobyhadoke.com. And please subscribe to the official Toby Haydoke YouTube channel. If you'd like to support these podcasts, please go to patreon.com forward slash Toby or if you prefer a one-off method of payment, ko forward slash Toby Thank you.